Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call.
will determine the design of our phase three registrational program. Together, these ongoing studies aim to achieve three objectives to facilitate the initiation of a phase three trial. First, they aim to confirm Pelaria Rep's immunotherapeutic mechanism of action to support the promising efficacy data generated by IMD213. Second, they aim to validate the clinical utility of our double blood-based biomarker measuring T-cell clinality to predict the patient response to Pelarirep. And finally, they will evaluate Pelarirep's ability to enhance the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors to improve patient outcomes, as there is a robust preclinical and clinical data set supporting the synergistic potential of Pelarirep checkpoint inhibitor combination therapies. With these objectives in mind, I'm happy to report that the second quarter featured the achievements of multiple key milestones, which continue to drive our sustained progress towards a registrational trial. The first of these milestones came from our AWARE-1 window of opportunity study in early stage breast cancer. This study is being conducted by Solti in Spain and represents the first use of our clinical supply agreement with Roche. Following a recent expansion in the number of AWARE-1 trial sites, we are rapidly enrolling patients in the study thanks to a doubling of the number of study centers that coincided with Spain's reopening. Also, thanks to last week's successful safety committee review, we once again verified Pelarirep's outstanding safety profile. This progress has been further bolstered by positive data generated, such as the recently announced compelling data presented at the 2020 ESMO Breast Cancer Meeting. This data was also highlighted in a recent K-Opinion K Leader call or KOL call featuring Dr. Alex Pratt, Chair of SOLTI, and the Lead Translational Investigator of AWARE-1. During this KOL call, Dr. Pratt spoke to how the AWARE-1 data confirmed Pelagrip's immunotherapeutic mechanism of action, support the clinical utility of T-cell causality as a predictive and prognostic biomarker, and demonstrated Pelagrip's potential to synergistically combine with checkpoint inhibitors across multiple breast cancer subtypes. Specifically, the data showed that systemic Pelarirep administration was followed by tumor-specific replication, which led to the creation uh, and mobilization of tumor-targeting CD8-positive T-cell clones and increased tumor pdl one expression. Notably, the AWARE-1 results also showed that Pelarirep treatment leads to an increase in cell tilt, a measure of tumor inflammation and the study's primary endpoint. Such data is particularly exciting when considering that patients with high cell tilt scores have improved clinical outcomes. The increase in cell tilt also correlated with peripheral T cell clinality, supporting its use as a biomarker, which may allow us to select and stratify patients who are more likely to respond to treatment in our clinical studies. Taken together, previously reported results from AWARE 1, these may demonstrate the substantial progress made towards achieving the clinical objectives necessary to move our lead breast cancer program into a registrational study. Looking ahead, we expect the advancement of this trial to continue in earnest. We are highly encouraged by this progress and will keep you up to date as the trial advances. Moving on now to bracelet one, our phase two trial evaluating the safety and efficacy of Pelorare-based combination therapies in HR-positive, HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer patients. Like in AWARE 1, the exceptional work of the oncolytic team and its partners throughout the midst of this pandemic has allowed us to achieve a critical milestone in the study, as we recently dosed our first patient following the opening of the first two sites in the study. We expect to see an acceleration in the opening of additional sites over the next quarter as hospitals adapt to the running studies in the COVID-19 pandemic environment. As a reminder, 
bracelet's design was developed in collaboration with Pfizer and Merck KGA and is essentially identical to the study design of a prior IND uh, 213 study, with two exceptions. Firstly, the study focuses exclusively on HR-positive HER2-negative subsets of metastatic breast cancer patients, which is the patient population in which we saw the pronounced overall survival benefit in IND-213. Second, Bracelet adds an additional study arm to evaluate Pelorelep in combination with Pfizer and Merck's anti pdl one checkpoint inhibitor, Vivencio. As mentioned earlier, this design was developed to support the overall survival advantage observed in IND-213 by demonstrating Pelorelep's ability to induce a robust anti-tumor immune response in an identical patient population. Additionally, the study aims to validate T-cell clonality's utility as a clinical biomarker and evaluate the efficacy of Pelorelep checkpoint inhibitor combination therapy. Importantly, we believe that our AWARE-1 and Bracelet studies present multiple opportunities for value inflection points in the near future particularly given how prior data and regulatory interactions have de-risked our overall breast cancer program. As those who have been following us for some time may know, we have previously received favorable feedback from the FDA end of phase two meeting, a favorable EMA final advice letter, fast-track designation, and a special protocol agreement for our metastatic breast cancer program. These regulatory achievements, combined with our progress in bracelet one and the compelling aware one data, showing that we are on track to meet the clinical objectives needed to initiate a registration study, demonstrate how the hard work of our employees, partners, patients, and investigators have de-risked our lead clinical program and set up oncolytics for near and long-term success. Now, I'd like to shift gears a bit and talk briefly about the recently announced expansion of our breast cancer program into new disease uh, subtype, triple negative breast cancer. About a month ago, we announced our new IRENE study, which is a phase two investigator-sponsored clinical trial designed to evaluate Pelorelep in combination with Insight's anti-PD-1 checkpoint inhibitor, retifanlimab. This trial aims to address a critical unmet medical need, as there are over 460,000 triple-negative breast cancer patients in the U.S. alone. Importantly, while checkpoint inhibitor therapy is approved for the treatment of triple-negative breast cancer, it has significant limitations. Only about half of triple negative breast cancer patients have the 1% PDL1 expression level needed to become eligible for checkpoint therapy at this time. Of those, 40% are likely to respond to treatment. This represents a very interesting clinical and market opportunity for Pelorelep, which is highlighted by the AWARE 1 data showing an ability to increase in tumor PDL1 expression with Pelorelep treatment across multiple breast cancer subtypes. These data highlight Pelorelep's potential to increase the number of patients that are eligible for and can respond to checkpoint inhibitors, thereby helping to address this pressing unmet need in triple negative breast cancer. Moving on, I'd now like to shift the discussion away from our primary focus in metastatic breast cancer and towards the progress made in hematological and gastrointestinal cancer indications. These programs demonstrate both the depth of our pipeline and the broad commercial opportunity offered by Pelorelep's continued advancement. Milestones were achieved in each of these programs in the second quarter, as new clinical data from trials evaluating Pelorelep and multiple myeloma and pancreatic adenocarcinoma were presented as part of the ASCO meeting held in May. We saw some fascinating proofs of concept data in multiple myeloma, which is an indication where the incredibly immunosuppressive nature of the cancer microenvironment has prevented the success of checkpoint inhibitors. When patients in our multiple myeloma trial were treated with Pelorelep in combination with the proteasome inhibitor Crepolis, 
we saw the activation of a profound inflammatory response accompanied by a 50% overall response rate and 83% clinical benefit rate. These results include the first reported incidence of cytokine release syndrome associated with clinical response in multiple myeloma. The induction of cytokine release syndrome, which can be effectively managed with well-established therapies, highlights the ability of Pelorera propolis combination treatment to induce robust immune cell activation in tumor lysis in multiple myeloma patients. The compelling data seen here are even more noteworthy when considering that the trial was carried out in calcizumab refractory patients who are notoriously difficult to treat. Importantly, when this recently announced data are considered together with previously reported trial results showing a dramatic increase in PDL1 expression with pelorivirep treatments, we strongly support the success of our ongoing clinical study evaluating pelorivirep, calcizumab, and an immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy in multiple myeloma. Finally, before I hand off the call to Andy to elaborate on our BD efforts, I'd like to give a brief update on our work in GI cancers. As in breast cancer and multiple myeloma, we have compelling clinical data from our GI malignancies demonstrating pelorivirep's potential to synergistically increase the effectiveness of immune checkpoint inhibitors. This includes data recently presented at ASCO from a trial evaluating pelorivirep ketuda combination therapy in second-line pancreatic cancer patients. These data show that the therapy was well-tolerated and resulted in tumor-specific replication, a high degree of T-cell repertoire and the creation of new T-cell clones in the peripheral blood of these patients. Looking ahead, these recently reported results add to what is a robust set of clinical data showing pelorivirep's ability to prime the immune system across several types of GI cancers. Notably, this data set is driving some very interesting discussions around potential industry and academic collaborations that may complement our existing relationships quite nicely. Now, to let you hear some more of these, uh, more about these exciting collaborations and other ongoing BD efforts, I'll hand the call over to Andrew. Thanks, Matt. As we've mentioned in the past, there's a growing interest from large pharma and biotech companies in improving the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors by pairing them with oncolytic viruses. This has been marked by several deals by companies such as Merck, EMS, and J&J, which have typically been preceded by initial collaborations designed to evaluate the feasibility of potential combinations. This is the exact approach Oncolytics is taking with our ongoing Pelorirep study, designed to evaluate potential synergies with Roche's Pacentric, Pfizer and Merck KGA's Avencio, CMS's Opdivo, and now Insights Retifanlimab. The way in which we have been able to gain such extensive industry collaborations has been by leveraging our robust clinical data set and the exciting market opportunities presented by the clinical areas being studied. One recent example of successful execution of the strategy is with the Irene studies Matt discussed earlier. As Pelorirep's ability to increase tumor PDL1 levels is precisely what drove the initiation of this investigator sponsored trial. This collaboration, along with our ongoing co development agreement with Pfizer and Merck KJ in the Bracelet 1 study, are just two examples of how we're effectively leveraging our compelling clinical data to initiate and foster relationships with large pharma and biotech. It's also important to note that the commercial opportunity of using Pelorirep to improve checkpoint inhibitors expands beyond just breast cancer. As a whole, the checkpoint inhibitor market is expected to reach $25 billion by 2022, even though less than one in five patients respond to these therapies. To further accelerate and expand growth, checkpoint companies must look for safe and efficacious ways to further expand their potential indications. Pelorirep, with extensive synergy data 
and ability to be administered intravenously represents an exciting opportunity to do so. As Matt discussed earlier, we have robust clinical data sets demonstrating polyurex potential to increase the percentage of patients responding to checkpoint inhibitors. Not surprisingly, we find that these data consistently drive exciting business development opportunities across our pipeline. For example, we're currently working with BMS on a promising study evaluating pyloreorex optival combination therapy in multiple myeloma patients. Looking forward, our goal is to secure a global clinical and commercialization partnership to both facilitate pyloreorex approval and maximize its commercial opportunity. We expect forthcoming clinical data, particularly in Bracelet and Aware One, to drive us towards this goal by advancing our ongoing discussions with potential partners across the pharma and biotech industries. With that, I'll turn the call over to Kirk Luck, our CFO, to discuss our financial results in the quarter. Kirk? Thank you, Andrew, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm pleased to report that Oncolytics remains in a sound financial position as we advance Pellerier up towards registration. Our balance sheet continues to remain strong with cash and cash equivalents of $29.9 million at the end of the second quarter. This includes net proceeds of $6.4 million from our at-the-market facility, which was recently removed, and importantly extends our financial runway to the end of 2021. Our research and development expenses for the second quarter of 2020 were $2.5 million compared to $3.4 million for the same period last year. These activities centered on progressing our AWARE and bracelet studies, supporting our other checkpoint inhibitor combination trials, and securing our clinical supply with the start of a CGMP production run. Now, operating expenses for the second quarter were $3 million compared to $1.8 million in 2019. During this period, the increase in our operating expenses related primarily to an increase in our investor relations and business development activities as well as an increase in our directors and officer insurance premiums. Finally, our net loss for the second quarter was $6.8 million compared to $5.3 million last year, equating to a loss per share of $0.17 for the quarter versus $0.26 for the quarter in 2019. With that, I'll hand it back to Matt.
We believe we are well on our way to advancing our lead HR positive approaching new metastatic breast cancer program into a registrational study, and we continue to work diligently with our academic and industry collaborators to broaden our commercial opportunities in hemological and GI malignancies. Though we expect the future of the pandemic to present challenges across the biotech and pharma industries, the extraordinary dedication and talent displayed by our employees and partners over the last several months makes us confident that we will continue to build on the positive momentum generated last quarter. This will allow us to continue generating value for our shareholders and, most importantly, improve the lives of cancer patients. With that, I would now like to open the lines and take some questions. Operator? Well, thank you. If you'd like to ask a question at this time, once again, as a reminder, please signal us by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone today, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach us. Once again, that's star one to ask a question. We'll pause just a brief moment. We'll take our first question from Jonathan Nashoff with Roth Capital Partners. Uh, th thank you very much. So the line's a bit staticky, so I hope you can hear me. We've had a bit of a storm over here. But uh, you've yeah, alluded over the past six, yes, you've alluded over the past six months or so um, about moving you know, into GI cancer, and I think I heard you extremely briefly mention it in your prepared remarks, but can you better elaborate on the developments in that disease setting? Yeah, no, um, Andrew's been very busy in this regard. Um, we are working on various protocols now. What we're, what we're contemplating, um, and hopefully in the context of an industry partner, um, will be a, a GI fasting uh, study, if you will. We've seen positive results in colorectal. We've just published those results. Um, the MCI published a positive study in pancreatic cancer and pre-selected uh, patients with CCAM6 expression. Um, so we, we very much believe it's an area that we should be pursuing. Um, we, we do have a number of industry partners that we're courting for this. Uh, the protocols are nearly completed. Um, so I think it's just a question of execution, and then hopefully that will be uh, a 2020 event. Obviously, um, everybody's stuck working from home, so it's hard to get committee approvals. Um, but Andrew's done a phenomenal job of moving these um, initiatives ahead for us, and it's something we hope to be able to announce uh, second half of the year. Okay. Uh, the, the second question is a, a couple of sentences, which is kind of very with me, but. You know, when will you see a critical mass of data in breast cancer? You know, you've been doing a bunch of stuff in breast cancer, and I guess, correct me if I'm wrong these numbers, but since early 2017, when you read out IMD213, that was about 77 patients. And then I believe that what we have seen from then has just, or since then, has just been about a dozen or so patients, uh, the first dozen or so from the very young. And so um, when I say critical mass, you know, when, when do you have a critical mass of patients in breast cancer, you know, some line of breast cancer, I need enough data so that you can construct a pivotal trial containing only one variable between only two arms so that you can best see the contribution from television. It's a great question, um, and, and it's one that comes up all the time. 77 patients and, you know, the, the study in, in terms of being that small is very, very clear. Um, you know, obviously people are looking for a larger N, um, but we were, I, I think there was people, you know, looking at the results and saying, well, this is fantastic, but the protocol was really written as it being a cytotoxic, and now you're seeing this, you know, 
delayed clinical benefit. You're seeing non-proportionality. That's very clear. You're active as immunotherapy. And unfortunately, 213 didn't capture that immunotherapy data. What we're getting from AWARE, I think, um, is some of the most compelling data uh, that demonstrates nearly definitively what's happening at a cellular level. And it, it, because there's paired biopsies uh, between the initiation of, of the study and the final mastectomy, we can, by looking in the tumor microenvironment and the peripheral blood, we can tell a very complete story of why 213 was a success, how the immune system was engaged, what the order of the engagement was, what the relative contribution of natural killer cells versus uh, the T cells are, um, we, unfortunately, you know, are, are living in, in the middle of a pandemic, so the, 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 the AWARE study was paused for three months. We used that time to double the number of centers. Um, that group is very excited about the study going forward. Um, we did have a KOL call where the investigator was talking about the future of the agent. I think the AWARE one gives us the complete study, and right now we just, we just finished the safety evaluation with the, the DSMB. Um, they found no concerns with it, so now we can enroll um, the remainder of the study. Always when you start these studies, there's a bit of a risk because we were giving uh, a checkpoint inhibitor to, to women who had a fully functional immune system. So we wanted to proceed slowly uh, to make sure that we weren't putting anybody at risk. But frankly, the safety profile looks exceedingly good. Um, the investigators there have submitted abstracts to SIPSI as well as San Antonio Breast Conference. So to my mind, in terms of a complete picture of the biochemistry um, and the relative role that the checkpoint inhibitor uh, will be presented at San Antonio Breast Conference, um, the final proof or the final nail in the coffin, if you will, is the breakup study, um, which is now enrolling. I'm hoping that it gives us a very clear indication of the relative contribution of the checkpoint inhibitor in the metastatic setting. But biochemistry is biochemistry. If we see um, a decrease, uh, in the threshold that we need to get to improved cell fill or improved inflammation in the presence of the checkpoint inhibitor, I think we can start planning that phase three well before very slow being finished. So to my mind, the complete biochemistry picture, you know, in with the 36 patients uh, with AWARE 1, I think complements everything, the 70, you know, some odd patients that were enrolled in 213, and then whether or not pharma needs that last bit of data coming from bracelet will be seen, but it's a nicely randomized study that, that shows it. So to my mind, I think we're done with AWARE 1. Um, naysayers or people who are sitting on the front, so I think they're going to wait for the bracelet results, which, you know, that study should be finished in enrollment next summer with final data, again, probably being presented at San Antonio Breast Conference 2021. Um, in any case, though, okay. you know, we've made some critical hires and we're planning for the phase three now so that we can do gap analysis to make sure that uh, in the context of a final partner that we can co-develop it, that they can look at us and our clinical team and say, yes, this is a critical partner or this is a critical group of people that can run the partnership that they're contemplating. Okay. And the, um, the former CMO, what, uh, what was her departure? Um, and what caused that? Yeah. It's, you know, typically the type of disclosure is we can see someone worked there and then they didn't. Um, we brought on, uh, Dr. Tom Heineman. He's got a background in infectious disease and oncology. Um, he's, uh, a fantastic hire for us and actually has been working to uh, already integrate and improve the clinical team over the last several weeks. So um, I would look to him, um, but we really don't discuss why people um, leave organizations. Okay. And, and the last uh, the last little two-quarter is just, uh, was there any ATM usage since uh, June 30th and what remains uh, either way on the ATM? Uh, Chris, that's your bailiwick. I'll let you answer that one. 
Uh, yeah, we've used it uh, uh, in July. Uh, it was a million dollar coming out of the ATM uh, post renewal. Okay, and uh, what and what remains on it? Uh, that would be uh, thirty-eight million. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for taking all the questions. Yes, Robert. Just a reminder to our audience, star one, if you have a question or comment at this time, that's star one. We'll move in next to John Newman with Canaccord. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the question this afternoon. Uh, question is on the bracelet study. I'm just curious if you can talk to us specifically about um, what you're looking for in terms of kesal clonality. And just wondered if you could talk about, um, you know, in the past, for example, when the PD-1 inhibitors were first being developed, um, why people weren't able to look at that uh, at the level of detail that they are now. Thanks. Great question. Um, so the T-cell clonality that, that we talked about, really what it is, it's a, it's a snapshot in time of what your T-cells are doing. And T-cells are a great way of uh, demonstrating that you've had the vaccination effects. Um, everyone now is very focused on vaccines and what have you. And, um, these things like uh, T-cell clonality can actually guide patients. Like you, you can look for an antibody response or you can look for a T-cell response. But what, what essentially what we're looking for is, and it's a three-arm study, so with the paclitaxel, standard cytotoxins don't increase T-cell clonality. So our, 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 our expectation is that those patients you know, will receive the paclitaxel, we'll look at you know, baseline and three weeks later, and we really don't anticipate there to be much of a change in the composition or constitution of the T-cell response. Um, if we see a, back, a successful vaccination effect and we draw the natural killer cells to the tumor and we get lysis, um, what we expect to see is the generation of brand new T-cell clones. And if anyone's ever seen our plot, um, what happens is that baseline, you don't have these T-cell clones and post-treatment. What we're looking for is the generation of two, three, 400 unique and novel clones um, that are, are likely to recognize both tumor epitope and viral epitope. And those are, are typically on the vertical axis of our abundance plots. And really all that's telling us is, yes, this guy who's now had the immune system exposed to viral epitope and tumor epitope, and, you know, they've had this very positive response. Now, checkpoint inhibitors, other than CTLA-4, which we haven't worked with clinically, um, don't generate new T-cell clones. They don't prime the immune system. So, um, we should be able to tease out what the virus is doing very nicely from what the checkpoint inhibitor is doing. So in the arm where we're giving paclitaxel plus virus, what we're going to be looking for is on that vertical axis, the generation of brand new T-cell clones. Now, this can be further augmented um, by checkpoint blockade. Um, checkpoint blockade, as I said, doesn't generate new T-cell clones, but it does do a pretty good job of activating those T-cells that existed at baseline, and that's that middle field that we talk about in the abundancy plot, where there's maybe 15, 20 clones that did recognize the tumor, but through the, the disease and through treatment, they just become so exhausted that they just can't target disease anymore. So in the arm where we add the preventio, what we're hoping to see is a great enhancement of that middle field uh, in combination with uh, the accumulation of new T-cell clones. Now, again, with the WHERE one, we can measure the tumor microenvironment, so we can look at uh, activation markers on T-cell clones. We can characterize what immune cells are there. And early results uh, from our animal studies, and now what we're starting to see in humans, when we treat with rheovirus, um, we get a big increase in inflammatory cells, um, but we get a 
slight diminishment of anti-inflammatory cells, cells like Tregs, uh, cells like MDSC. But um, we presented a poster in collaboration with Halozyme. When we added a checkpoint inhibitor to that combination, what we find is within the tumor and life environment, the anti-inflammatory cells, these Tregs, these MDSCs, are eliminated from the tumor microenvironment. So where one gives us a very complete picture of which uh, inflammatory cells are there, which cells are not there in the combination, um, what cells are activated, which ones are still basically suppressed from working. So we get a very accurate depiction, and that points us to, very obviously, you want to have an elimination of the anti-inflammatory cells. Early results are suggesting that that's what happens uh, through the activity of the checkpoint inhibitor. So we'll have a much more complete picture of that, and that'll be presented. Uh, I know they, they, they have submitted to San Antonio. Um, they are planning on submitting to SIDC. Um, and we should have sufficient data. Now that Spain's opened up, they've been able to ship all the samples off. So we're doing uh, imaging mass spec. We're doing T-cell clonality. We're measuring all the cytokine response. We're measuring the gene response. Um, a recent publication we had has demonstrated that rarevirus treatment in combination uh, with cytotoxics, we would actually see uh, genetic changes. We'd see overexpression of pro-inflammatory genes. These were expressed as markers as well as cellular changes. And finally, it resulted in clinical changes. So we're hoping to be able to have that sort of full accountability um, from the AWARE-1 study as well, as well as when we get into the Bracelet study. Okay, great. Thank you. Once again, just a reminder to our audience, star one, if you have a question or a comment at this time, that's star one. We'll pause a brief moment. And it appears that's all the time we have for questions at this time, everyone. I'll turn the call back over to our speakers for any final or additional remarks. Thank you, operator. I appreciate that. And listen, thanks, everyone, for taking the time to listen to these calls. I appreciate it. It is earnings season. It's very busy. Um, other than that, I just wanted to thank everyone for their time, and I wanted to thank all the staff at Oncolytics for all the hard work, and all the collaboration, and all the industry participation, and the patients and their family for participating in the studies. Thanks very much, operator. You're quite welcome. That does conclude our conference call for today, everyone. Thank you all for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.